0: Welcome to another episode of Scarves Around the Funnel, a podcast all about Edinburgh's big team, the Jambos, with me, Laurie Dunsire, joined once again by the man across the pond, Mark Donaldson.
1: And we thought Davy's sign was shite. Goodness (laughs) me. You're getting straight to the point. Two-footed challenge. Now, if it happens in the penalty area, obviously, it's not going to be a penalty, but if it's a An incident where only one person
0: sees it, then it's a clear-cut penalty. We will get onto that later, (laughs) won't we? Yes. There's a lot to talk about, so we're recording after two matches. Hearts played Rangers at Tynecastle on Sunday, uh, quickly followed by a trip to Perth to play St Johnston on Wednesday evening. So we're recording this in the wake of both games. So obviously there's a lot to get through, and if you tune in regularly you'll know we have a tendency to waffle a bit. So we're going to have to try and be a bit strict today. So I want to have a look through the Rangers and St. Johnston games and a couple of points from them. And then I think one part which needs, I guess, its own little section itself is the refereeing uh, and the decisions over those two games. So I think we're going to tackle that um, on its own. And then we'll quickly run through some more of the bits of feedback we've received in regards to the competition we're running then we'll have a look ahead as well, not just to the upcoming games, but I think Mark wants to look ahead to the second half of the season as well. He's not already fed up of the pre-winter now after this <laughs> one. Um, but Mark, we'll, we'll start off with the Rangers game. So Hearts in action, the big league game of the weekend, anyway, at Tincastle. And finally, Hearts managed to score, even though it didn't come from a Hearts player. It didn't reach the dreaded six games without a goal, which has only happened once, and that was in the 60s. They have now lost five in a row against Rangers, though. Um, and a few points in the game. So it was a frantic game. It was it was error-strewn, but it made it fairly watchful in the first half. Um, there was a better tempo from Hearts from the start. Uh, Mitchell Godinho getting forward well, although a few holes at the back. Um, so because we're going to be looking at these quite briefly, Mark, I want to pick up a few points about this game specifically. So Michael Smith, uh, maybe surprisingly to a few, but maybe not so surprisingly, given Pomona's maybe tough game he had away at St Mirren and the fact that Michael Smith has played in a centre-half position before, but the Northern Irish International was put into that role. Um, Now, is this something that you think maybe worked again? And is it something that Craig Levine is going to have to consider given maybe the last few games of... um, Smith and Dicamona, their relative performances, and the fact that now Jimmy Dunn, believe it or not, the injury luck we've had with centre-backs is going to be out for six weeks. Is this something you think we might see more often? If Dicamona continues to play the way he played in his
1: cameo appearance, then yes, because he was woeful when he came on Dicamona for Godinho just after the the hour mark. Michael Smith's a decent footballer. Uh, He's probably a better right-back or a right-wing-back than he has a centre-back. But it's difficult for him because he hasn't played much alongside Christoph Berra this season. I think he played centre-back against Celtic, is that yes, correct? That's Somebody right, one yeah, four the four. Yep, that's the one. Yeah, so, I, I mean, the balance is better. Uh, you've got Christoph on the left and, and Michael Smith on, on the right. A lot depends on the next few games, how DiCamona plays, because if he's not much better than his cameo
0: appearance, then he'll not be near the first team. How do you think Michael Smith did? I mean, I think one positive I think from my point of view is he's he's very composed on the ball, and I think it's a good, in some ways, a good foil for Bera, who's no nonsense, uh, wins a lot in the air. But he's often your old-fashioned centre back. Get rid of it. Play safety first. I thought Michael Smith. One thing he did very well was get his foot on the ball. Step out. Not not anywhere near the, the quality that John Suter has doing that. But he he looked for a few passes, and he tried a few measured diagonal balls, I thought, rather than uh, just put your foot through it.
1: Yeah, there there, there are worse options than Michael Smith at the back. Uh, The problem hearts have had this season, you've got Berra, you've got Dunn, you've got Suter, you've got DiCamona, you've got Smith. And we haven't had a period of five or six games with the same pairing together uh, until we probably had it once, I would say, um, when when Jimmy Dunn had a, a, a decent run in the side. Uh, but then when he got injured, it's, it's back to square one again. He was fine. Uh, he, he was fine. Is, is he, we'll, we'll speak about the second half of the season later in this podcast. But when everybody's fit, does Michael Smith start? Maybe, maybe not. But that would be at right back. He certainly wouldn't start anywhere near being a centre-back. But when needs must, right now, He's probably a better option than, than Di Camona the way that he's played. It depends what you want to do with Godinho as well, because we saw Smith played infield when Godinho started. So if Craig Levine likes Godinho to play there, expect to see Michael Smith alongside Berra more often until John Suter and Jimmy Dunn come back after the, the winter break.
0: The other thing I want to touch on, we'll speak about the, the two games generally, but from the Rangers game specifically, one area one position I suppose which I thought we were maybe lacking and at times it was almost like a man light and it's maybe not everything to do with the player and maybe the system at times. But up front, I think he had a glancing header early on Stephen McLean, uh, which McGregor tipped read the post. But other than that, I really thought he, he struggled to get involved at all. And it, it, it was almost like we were playing a four or 5 0 at times. It was like we were building from the back, a few of the midfielders got involved, but it, it was very ineffective. And that obviously took its toll in the second half when we were trying to get back into the game. Um, we're going to talk about the St. Johnson game as well. We had a different striker, but I don't... Do you think Stephen McLean at the moment at his age can play in these type of games on his own up there?
1: Well, huh, the proof of the pudding and all that. Stephen is an excellent squad player for Hearts. Now, he's 36, but he's as fit as someone 10 years younger. When he was brought in, I was pretty convinced he would play about 30 games in a season. Maybe start 15, come off the bench 15. So, someone like that. Maybe start 20, come off the bench 10. But with everything that's happened so far this season, with no Uche, with no Naismith as well, he's probably played more than, than Craig Levine had anticipated. And to an extent, It's not his fault in that he's only as good as the service he gets. And he's not someone that's frightened to come short. I was thinking about this earlier today when I was putting together my second half of the team, uh, second half of the season team. There's no point in having wingers when you've got Stephen McLean as your lone striker because he's not the tallest. He's very clever and he's smart but you're not going to launch balls into the box for Stephen McLean because he'll just get gobbled up by the opposition centre-backs. So you've got to play a, a different game when Stephen McLean's your striker. You've either got to play through the middle, or if you are putting balls to him, it can't be any higher than chest height. Is he going to be the type of guy that will run and chase a, a back down, a ball over the top? No, it's not really his type of game at the age he is. So you've got to play to his strengths. So I think in his defence, there's an element of Hearts maybe not playing his strengths, but there's also a case of we don't have anybody else. We've tried X, Y, and Z and this spell, this run that we were on prior to the Rangers game of not scoring it just it was frustrating and Stephen McLean is a good player who will be a big player for Hearts in the second half of the season, but he'll be a squad player. He'll start some, he'll come off the bench in some as well, but he offers you a different aspect in attack and right now it's an aspect that, especially at Tynecastle, doesn't really work with him as a lone striker.
0: Okay, we're going to talk about refereeing decisions um, in a little bit, um, but I think it'd be important to move on to the St Johnston game just now and have a talk through that. So it, it was very similar in terms of setup. For, for Game 2 that we're covering on this podcast. It was a 4-5-1 uh, with uh, the three central midfielders, with Jume and Clare also, I, I guess, naturally central midfielders, providing some sort of, of width in the midfield, but with the onus, I guess, on the fullbacks to to really provide more support in the wide areas. Change-wise, mm-hmm. um, Smith did go back to right-back. Deacon did come back into defence and in midfield. Uh, ollie lee came in for harry cochran and an attack craig Whiting was in there for stephen mclean and in terms of the game it was actually a surprisingly open game for a hearts trip to mcdermott park i mean especially given the fact that Johnston hadn't conceded in six hearts had only scored one in six and that was an own goal as we mentioned Uh, And the last five league meetings of this ground had had seen three combined goals all for st johnston and Hearts, and it's going to go there for almost five years. So, what surprised me, and again, similar to the Rangers game, it was the first half, which was the most open, was the fact that the game was a bit end-to-end at times, especially for a game in Perth, and I guess a lot of that came down to the fact that St Johnston were maybe uncharacteristically sloppy? Would that be fair?
1: Yeah, I mean, I watched as much the game as I could last night on BBC Alba, and It was a weird game. It was. It was more open than than we've seen in the past. I just... The point I wanted to make about the Rangers game, to an extent, was confidence taken from being ahead. And then the St. Johnston game, we were only ahead for 14 minutes. And then we were ahead again over the halftime break. It's our first halftime lead for a while. But the point I wanted to make about the Rangers game, I think we were only ahead for eight minutes or something like that from the, the, the time that Gareth McCauley scored the own goal. And there wasn't that momentum. And, and we, we didn't even get a chance to go in at halftime level because of the Morelos goal. The problem being that we've spoken about momentum and we've spoken about uh, how much confidence can be taken from having the lead. We're not holding on to the lead for long enough. So when Jim scored... 14 minutes later, Alston equalised. When Bozanich scored, we had a half-time lead. And then we held that until, what, 24 minutes into the second half. And circumstances, I would say, out with our control um, meant that we didn't get the win there. And it's the same now for the Motherwell game. We go into it not on the back of a win because of a refereeing error. And it's just having that period of time where they're ahead and seeing the confidence that might flow as a result of that, but instead, there's a fragility about Hearts right now. And especially at the back, the last clean sheet that Hearts kept was against Hibernian in the, the 0-0 game at Tynecastle. And I'm not sure. I'm, I'm just, I'm, while we're speaking, I'm kind of going back this season to, to the defensive four that we've selected. After the 0-0 draw, against Hibbs, you're thinking, well, surely you keep the same back four. But he didn't. We lost five goals. In came Mitchell for Garruccio. And every single game, there seems to be a turnover. There's no continuity in defence. So it's two parts for me. One, getting the confidence from a long-term lead and hopefully eventually a win. And two, and it's difficult because of all the injuries. Um, We've been so unlucky this season. We need continuity of selection because if you keep chopping and changing, whether it's by choice or whether it's enforced, that's not a good sign.
0: So some of the points, I guess, as one I wanted to pick up on this game especially. Now, this is something that I think, and I mentioned it during commentary, Now, obviously we're going to talk about the refereeing side of it in a moment, but sometimes I feel, now it's, it's, it's a Craig Levine approach, and I think we've seen it in both spells, and I said it during the second half when we were... 2-1 ahead um, sometimes we go too much in, into our shell Now I'm not expecting us to be 2-1 ahead in a tough away game and go hell for, leather, hell for leather to get a third goal but at times it almost looked like we were just set up, sit back and clear the ball which is fine with 10 minutes to go, 5 minutes to go but this was 55 60 minutes and I always think it's very difficult for a team if they set up that way to then adjust and if the other team does then score it's almost like they're set. We've just we've just been doing a defence against attack. drill. what what do we do when we get the ball now? Um, and sometimes, and I don't know if you agree with me or not. I think Craig Levine has a tendency maybe to underestimate the quality of his team, not to go hell for leather like I say, but at least to leave an option up front and to maybe quickly attack on the break. Because I thought the way the first half had gone, I thought there's going to be at least one more goal in this. It's either going to be to St Johnson if we let them come at us too much, or we're going to hit them on the break because they're going to have to push men forward. Unfortunately, it was the former, not the latter. I was thinking about a
1: comment that I made one of the early podcasts after Naismith had been injured. And obviously, Bera was was out as well and, and Suter, um had been injured as well. And the, the, the point I made at the time, it's interesting now looking back on it, I said that even with the squad that Hearts currently have available, and bearing in mind this was after the semi-final, I still felt that outside Celtic and Rangers and possibly Aberdeen, that they clearly had the best squad of players who are currently available for selection. I'm not sure I would say that now. And I look at the players that we have individually. We've got some some good individuals. Uh, Collectively, we're fragile. I think we're an average side. I think we're just another, we're a maybe top six side with the squad that we have available for us. And when you add in the fact that we haven't been scoring and there's no confidence among the players and no momentum among the players, I think a point at McDermott Park is, is probably, yes, I mean, it's fine. Would you have taken it before the game? Probably. Did we deserve it? Well, Tommy, Tommy Wright certainly doesn't think we did. Um, to get all three points.
0: Talking about his team dominating possession, they didn't even have the majority of
1: possession. You know what, I mean, I've had over, goodness knows how many likes and retweets of that tweet I put out. I was sitting watching the sports scene at a reasonable hour last night, my time, it was after one o'clock, your time. It was ridiculous how late that was on. And as they were interviewing him after the game, (laughs) right at the same time, that's how easy it was to kind of, Wait a minute here. He's just said, and that's just shown, the possession stat came up literally at the same time as he said. Um, we had far more possession. And it's just that that's how you see games. We're in, we're in a, a funk right now. We're in a bit of a rut right now. And that, that's why, as this podcast was on, I want it to become more positive. And I'm really excited about a team that I've picked for the second half of the season. Basically, the the scenario is when everybody is fit. We've gone through a period over the last six to eight weeks that very, very few teams go through losing not just players to injury, but our key players to injury. And for us to be in a position right now, if you'd been offered that position at the start of the season, fourth in the table, uh, I know a couple of the teams below us have got games in hand, but you would have taken that. Now, if you'd been offered that position before the Celtic game, of course you wouldn't have taken it. But it's tough. And you can be negative about it or you can try and be positive about it. I think there's an element of of both. But there's got to be an element of realism that hopefully things will will kick on. Uh, We've seen Berra come back. Naismith's just around the corner. We've got Suter. We've got Ucce. We've got a new signing, Vanecek in January. And the wins will come. And then if we can get one or two, I'm sure we could easily go on another run. So let's try and be positive, albeit I've given a fair bit of negative um, comments
0: over the last couple of minutes. Well, a couple of positives I want to take from uh, the last two games. Christoph Berra, how good is it to have him back? I mean, he would header a brick wall to, to 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 keep the ball away from the hearts box, the hearts defence. I, I thought he settled back into the side just like you would want from the captain. I know we conceded four goals over the two games since he had been back, but I don't think much of that is down to Christoph Berra. I, I mean, and I think the timing. Although it would have been good to have him earlier, but I think it's great to have him back at this point. And I just think he's such a key man. And I think going into the next run of games, I think he could be pivotal having him back there. His leadership and just his determination. I, I just love it, even though it's sometimes not always the prettiest. But he'll just get his head on everything and get rid of it.
1: Yeah, and and the game's coming up. Um, certainly three of the next four, you would feel that we've got to be looking to win them. Motherwell at home, Livy away, Aberdeen away will be tough, and then Hamilton at home. And then you've got the, the game at Easter Road on the Saturday before New Year, which is the final game before the winter break. So <laughs> you either go into the Hibs game in this rut that, that we've been in, although we, we kind of stopped it to an extent with a point, in Perth, or you go into the Hibs game absolutely flying because potentially you've got three wins and a draw from those four fixtures, because that's what we really should be aiming to get. We should be aiming to beat Motherwell and Hamilton at home, win at Livingston, and I'd take a point at Aberdeen. So if we could get 10 points from our next four games, which is a big ask given the lack of form, but if we could get 10 points, then the momentum going into that game against Tabernacle would be absolutely huge because they another team that's struggling
0: right now. So it's a case of who's going to get this momentum first. Hopefully it's us. And another thing which I want to highlight, a man who somehow managed to score a headed goal, even though I'm pretty certain he's a, definitely the smallest hearts player in the park in McDermott, uh, was uh, Brzanić. Now, I see someone who I mean, he's not always started. He seems to have been the kind of backup player to put into the, to put into the starting 11 maybe for the midweek games when... We've got more tired players after the weekend. Is there an argument that he's possibly our best central midfielder based on on what we're seeing just now? I thought he looked tidy on the ball. I thought he played the ball cleverly, not always spectacular passes, but picked out men more often than not. I thought he was good in the tackle, just keeping his not flying into challenges, but just covering the ground well and getting in a good position for the goal. Is he possibly one of these maybe dark horses who? has been underrated. You know, we've seen Ollie Lee get a lot of um, uh, fan, uh, fan adulation from the start of the season. But is Bozanic possibly our best central midfielder?
1: Honestly, I don't know. And, and that's simply because I see what I can see. I was lucky enough to see, I'll well, say lucky enough, uh, the St. Johnson game was on BBC Alba, so I was able to see that. The St. Mirren game, again, I got the highlights on the, the Hearts website, of, of which there weren't many. So you and everyone that goes to the games is able to see his contribution over a 90-minute period. It's like doing, for me doing commentary um, in a broom closet in <laughs> Connecticut. I can only see what the camera shows me. So I haven't seen whether Bozanich tracks back or, or does all that. So I'd, I'd have to defer to, to the experts that, that watch him on a, a, a kind of weekly basis.
0: He kissed the badge, though, when he scored. So, I mean... <laughs> Another one. <laughs>
1: yeah, Morris
0: Johnson. Always wanted to play for hart um, OK, one very quick last thing. Uh, I've tried to get a few positives. There's one thing I wanted to highlight. We've spoken about it before. Um, left-back, we seem to have this endless... Oh, Tosh we... McKinley! We seem to have this endless rotation at left-back. I wish it was Tosh McKinley just now. Um, now, Dimitri Mitchell... Started um, again the last two games. And it's the same story. I, I thought he looked good going forward. He had a couple of good dangerous attacks where he got up and got dangerous crosses into the box. But he looked very suspect defending. He almost handed Rangers a goal. Uh, he almost handed St. Johnston a goal in the early stages. And then he was his area the pitched really the back post when the cross came in from the other side. It was pretty open. I still don't understand why... Mitchell starts and Guruccio doesn't. And if they're going to start, I still don't understand why Mitchell would be ahead of Guruccio. It's one of those I can't really quite work out. Makes two of us. And I think
1: there's many more as well. It might not work. It might not work with Mitchell in front of Guruccio. But can we at least see if it works? Can we, not, can we at least try? Please. I mean, what, have, what have we got to lose? Oh, we might go on a run of successive games without scoring goals. <laughs> Been there. Done that. <laughs> Let's try something else. And again, looking forward to giving you my 11 for the second half of the season because I'm pretty convinced that in when everybody's fit, Hearts play
0: a back 3 and that allows Mitchell further forward. Okay, we're going to have to move on to the part of the podcast which cues I don't know. Are we gonna are we gonna go down the Craig Levine route? Is this gonna get X rated? Are we gonna have our first explicit tag on the scarves around the funnel podcast? I'm not sure. I'm gonna I'm gonna let Mark make the first move here. So I've not allowed you to speak about refereeing and officiating generally over the last two games yet. So now Mark is your chance. I'm I'm, I'm just gonna hand it over to you. So first off, the Rangers game. The general decision-making throughout, and I suppose one incident in particular, which I don't think I need to really give you a cue on.
1: Bobby Madden is not the worst referee out there. I remember a few years ago... Dallas. at Easter <coughs> Road. We'll, we'll get to him in a minute. <laughs> uh, um, Bobby Madden was in charge of a, a game at Edinburgh Derby, of which he took charge of quite a lot in 2014 at Easter Road. But one in particular, he earned praise from both sets of managers. And I thought to myself, that's as good a handling of a football game as, as I've seen. I don't have any issue with, with, with Bobby Madden as a referee to an extent. The problem I've got here is for, for, by glazing over, over everything and going straight for it, there's a lack of accountability. Craig Levine says something and he might get hauled up another manager says something, they might get fined. But the people who are responsible and culpable for the the decisions in the first place, well, surely Andrew Dallas doesn't get another game, not so much high profile, but a top-flight game after a mistake in a cup final. Oh, there you go, son. Have a Premier League game. Have a premiership game on the Wednesday. Surely it sends out a message If you've already made the decision that he is going to be in charge, because we already know that Willie Collum is going to be in charge for the Muddle game. It's not kind of gung-ho. They don't just say 24 hours beforehand. He's going to be in charge of of that. In Italy, they do it kind of 36 hours beforehand. But in Scotland, it's it's done several days. So we knew in advance that Dallas was going to be the referee in the midweek. Surely it says more. If you take him off that game and out of the firing line, because he's just made, a, he's made an arse of it again. And that doesn't help him. Now, I don't want to get involved in a character assassination. Because, and this is why I want to get into something that happens over here. And especially in football. There's a lot of people over here who work in football. And some would say me, but that, that's fine. A lot of people who work in, in, in TV and football over here uh, shouldn't be anywhere near a microphone, in my opinion. I'm not going to name names, but they're clearly nowhere near good enough. But the problem is the people who hire these so-called commentators, yahoos or whatever, a lot of them don't know what they don't know. A lot of them think that sounds good, but they don't really have a grasp of the actual uh, thing that they're doing by way of appointing uh, this commentator to this gig or whatever. So without getting involved in this character assassination of Andrew Dallas, what I want to say, and I know I've kind of deviated off the, the Rangers thing, but I think it can be grouped. One, accountability. You don't perform well, then you suffer the consequences and you miss your match fee for the next one. But two, the people who are doing the hiring, this is my gripe. Now, at the SFA right now, a so-called head of refereeing development, John Fleming, he's been in the role since Hugh Dallas's emails about the Pope in 2011 have we seen an improvement in officiating with him in charge no we've not and and that is an issue for me I think they've gone backwards and his friendship with Hugh Dallas has allowed this scenario of Andrew Dallas this nepotistic scenario of someone being fast-tracked when he's clearly not ready what's the morale like among the referees This is the interesting thing for me because I'm Joe Bloggs, right? I'm a class one referee. I'd love to do a cup final in Scottish football. Not had the chance yet, but I'm hopeful this time. I've done well this season, so I've got a right chance, I think. And then, because word gets around. The referees know how other referees do. Word gets around that Andrew Dallas has been appointed for a cup final. Is that meritorious? Is it bollocks? There is a nepotism involved there, a cronyism in Scottish football, whether it's John Fleming, whether it's Hugh Dallas's somehow involvement, you have to be able to earn what you get. And this, for me, is not a case of him having earned. If he's been great this season, I've got no I don't give a toss who his dad is. Brilliant, good on you. You deserve the cup final. He's not been. So what's the morale like among the other referees when they see someone getting a gig like that? Bobby Madden, you'll have you'll probably have a good game this weekend. I'm not saying take up, like, put him to the, relegate him, stick it to the lower leagues for the next few games. But just stick him out the firing line for his protection as well. Because now he's been hammered after the cup final, Dallas. He's been hammered after that decision. You'll say, well, does he favor one team or the other? Look, I put a tweet out about an article that, uh, I think it was the BBC published, Tommy Wright constantly going on about Andrew Dallas and the number of times he's had to speak to the supervisor at the SFA about Andrew Dallas. So he doesn't hate your team. That's nonsense. It's like us saying, or people saying about us commentators, or you hate our team. Look, come on. I don't give a damn about your team. We don't give a damn about your team. Referees don't give a damn about your team. They're not biased. Some of them are just not at the level that they should be. And the games that they're
0: getting do not rectify that. I mean, the decision against Rangers, the main issue is not Dallas one, it's the assistant um, who flags the offside, doesn't flag rather for the offside for Morelos' goal, which is three Rangers players clearly offside. It's a it's a shocker of a decision. Now, but with that one, you're talking about someone missing something. So I was disappointed at that. I was slightly irritated, but I don't think I would say I came away from the game livid or disillusioned or anything but the the decision in the St Johnston game, now this is a whole different ball game because when I was commenting, if you were listening to me, me like all the people in the press area, like all the home fans, like all the away fans, and like pretty much every single player on the pitch, when the whistle went we kind of all looked around wondering what had just happened and then when he pointed to this spot there was actually laughter from some of the St Johnston fans, we were all just bemused, it was like Wait, what, what's what's going on? I I didn't even see a challenge to make a decision on, let alone a, a, a foul. So you know, my first instinct was this is a non-existent penalty. But you know, you don't always see everything in the first viewing. But as soon as I could see a replay, just at the corner of my eye and the laptop over to my right, you, you could just see straight away. There's there's no challenge. Haring has his hands by his side. Liam Gordon, I don't know what he's doing. He's, himself and fall to the ground. But this concerns me a lot because Andrew Dallas hasn't missed something. He hasn't misinterpreted a tackle as being too strong or not having touched the ball. He seems to have completely created something here which didn't exist. And it reminds me of another Dallas incident. I don't know if you remember this, um, about well, maybe a year back or so, when Harts played Motherwell, and yes. it was a comical decision. I had to look, I actually saw someone share the video, and that's when I was like, it was Dallas. And one of the Motherwell players runs into his own player who's lying on the ground, falls over him, and about two yards back, Mallory Martin is not making a challenge, just running. And he not only gets a foul given against him, but he gets yellow-carded. Now, that, to me, is a big issue. That's not just missing a, a clear foul or a clear incident that's not misinterpreting a tackle as being stronger or or weaker than it is, That seeing things that just aren't there. That is a huge problem. You're rewarding
1: mediocrity by constantly giving people like Dallas who perform at the level he's currently performing at, you're rewarding mediocrity by constantly giving him the games that he's now accustomed to getting. He's got a FIFA badge. I mean, you could buy one of them at a jumble sale. And that would make <laughs> you a FIFA referee. Uh, it's, it's a scenario right now whereby the, the, one, the one thing I would say, having watched the second half on BBC Alba, Peter Haring, 20 seconds before he's a judge to have fouled the player for a penalty, is involved in an altercation, which the referee doesn't give a foul against Peter Haring. The St. player' is not happy, and he's in his ear, and he's yapping away. It, because of the pro- close proximity in the 20 seconds or so, if it is even that, does that play a part? Maybe. We'll, we'll, we'll never know. I mean, maybe it's in, it's in his subconscious. You, you, once you're blowing the whistle, you, you, you can't kind of stop the play, because that's what happens, the play is stopped once the whistle blows you've got to make a decision, so you can't quickly, well, turn it around because Harry's not done anything wrong, but now there's a St. Johnson player as well, so you couldn't give it to St. Johnson so I just think right now he needs taken out the firing line, and I think the whole setup, the whole system, and it won't be, because it's total cronyism inside the corridors of power at Hamden Park, whether it's the SFA, or whatever it is, There's 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 not enough uh, clarity in there, and there there needs to be more – what's the word I'm looking for? What's the best word I could use here from a careful perspective? Um, There needs to be more of uh, an understanding in the corridors of power that we don't like what we're getting right now as far as the paying customer is concerned. And normally when something you don't like happens, you get an explanation. So the lack of accountability, um, the nepotism, the cronyism, it's not going to change because you could have these referees coming out afterwards, which they don't want to do. And you're going to have to have someone um, sat down watching a monitor, then making a comment because you you can't have – I mean, a lot of managers have to give their post-match interview without even having seen the incident. So this isn't a, an after-match thing. This is this is a Monday morning thing. Remember the old whistleblower website on the SFA, the Scottish FA website. You remember that? Uh, vaguely, yeah. It was. I kind of well. Here's here's an explanation of of what happened, um, and all the the, con, uh, the contentious decisions at the weekend. So. It never really worked well, and it never sat well with the referees because it was always kind of negative about decisions that were, were wrong. And it, it, it highlighted the fact that although these guys are, are human and make mistakes, there's a lot of mistakes being made, and, and, and they weren't for that. What I would say, and I've got nothing against referees, I, I wouldn't want to do it. So for people to, to kind of say, well, you're criticizing them, I think, I think there's two sides to this as well. If you're having a Monday or, or whenever it is, a, a kind of uh, a breakdown of decisions made, uh, I think there has to be some sort of press release from the SFA inclusive of positive decisions, good decisions where referee X let advantage, uh, played advantage or he let something go, used his common sense and it led to a goal. That should be highlighted as well, but there's a lot of negativity right now and with this negativity comes a closed shop. So for anybody seeking immediate change, nothing is going to happen right now because they have hunkered up. They are in their bunker and they're going absolutely nowhere. And my one hope is that that decision in Perth by Andrew Dallas was not a get it right up here" decision. Craig Levine criticized his fraternity. So in return, I'll do that. I'm 99.9% certain it was and I really hope I'm right. Uh, it wasn't, sorry. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Slip of the tongue there. Um, Catch22, at AlwaysGorgie on Twitter, actually, tweeted has to say, what penalty decision was worse? Hugh Dallas penalty for Rangers and Kiriakos, or his son proving last night that the apple never falls far from the tree? If listeners would like to give us their thoughts on something, which is V-A-R, now I don't want to get into it t- today because we're going to run out of time and I think it maybe deserves a little bit more. But I know that BT Sport, um, well, certainly Daniel Curry anyway has mentioned um that potentially BT would be willing to test it out on some live games. It's something which England, um the English Premiership, Premier League rather, is going to be introducing. What are your thoughts of BAR? Do you like it? Do you not like it? Why do you go for it? Why do you go against it? Do you think it's viable? So so give us your thoughts. So at Around the Funnel, an email podcast at scarvesaroundthefunnel.co.uk. And we'll maybe speak about it either next week or an upcoming show. Uh, but for now, let's cool down and um, look forward, Mark. So in, in in the coming games, away from refereeing, um, their hearts are now on their longest winless run in five years since the dismal administration winter of 2013-14. Uh, we went 11 without a victory in all competitions. Is it going to change? Come on, tell me. You, you're the one looking to be positive. <laughs>
1: there's only one right answer that you want to hear, isn't there? Yes, I, I, hope, yes. <laughs> I, I, I hope so. I hope so. I do. We've scored three goals in two games now, having not scored for ages. So there's that confidence to be taken. We're back at Tyne Castle. We're against the motherless side that blows hot and cold. I watched the highlights on sports scene of their game against Celtic. They've got some decent enough players. But if Hearts play well, I think Hearts win. And one win, just that can really be the catalyst towards ending the year on a high. The longer it takes for us to get that win, then the more concern it's going to be. I think we will win this weekend.
0: Now, we were going to have a a look at some more feedback we've received and make a a decision on the competition, which, of course, is um, you, the listeners, giving us the the questions to to put out to the other listeners. So the homework is that you create the homework. Again, I'm pretty sure we're being lazy with that one. Um, And the prize is the hearts version of the taxi board game. Uh, We're running a bit short on time, so I think I'm going to carry this over to the next show, but we're, we're still looking for some feedback. Uh, one of the ones I would like to just quickly put out there is Gordon Stitt, um, who asked for your best team from the three cup winning finals. That's 98, 2006 and 2012. So what would be the best combined 11 from those three cup final teams? I really struggle with this one, so I'm going to put it out there and we'll talk about it next time. But that's one of the questions I want to put out there, and I think we'll make a call on the competition next time out. We've had a lot of good feedback, so thanks for sending that in. But, yeah, the last one I just want some more feedback on is your cup final team from the three successful cup final wins over the last 20 years. Um, I struggle with it, which is why I want you to give me some help. Finally, Mark, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the limelight. Um, and you and your... Eternal optimism would like to look ahead to the second part of the season. I know we're not quite at. I guess the winter break is a good chance to to look at it as a, a half time of the campaign. But you, you're you're fed up with the the losing and lack of goals. So you're you're going to have a look, a look ahead to what the Hearts team could look like second half of the season. The one that's going to recapture the form of the team that started the first half of the season, or or something along those lines, is it? Yeah, and I'm I'm pretty convinced with Craig
1: Levine wanting Jimmy Dunn until the end of the season and when Souter comes back and with Bera being the captain, you're not dropping one of them. You're not playing a back four. You're playing all three of those. You've already got Haring a kind of centre-back in midfield. So you're not playing one of them as a defensive midfielder. So you've got to play them all. And this is what I would do. This, with everybody fit, is my Hearts 11 for the second half of the season I'm going to play a 3-4-1-2 formation I'm going to have Bobby's in goal who I think redeemed himself um, since a couple of recent howlers so I'm sticking with him Christoph Berra Jimmy Dunn and John Suter I've then got two wide players playing as as kind of right midfielder slash right wing backs I've got Callum Morrison on the right, and I've got Dimitri Mitchell on the left. Now, the reason for that is because I'm going to need supplies for my front two. Now, in games that we are expected to have a lot of the ball, I think it would be Morrison and Mitchell, but you could have Smith and Garrucho depending on, on where you are or which stadium you're playing at or who you were playing against. So is Lamal in goal, better done and Suter, Morrison and Mitchell wide, Haring and Lee in the middle of the park, Naismith off Uche and Vanacek. That would be someone who is going to supply Morrison and Mitchell for Uche and Vanacek. It would give Naismith the ability to help out defensively and to push forward an attack. You would have Suter being the ball-playing centre-back, Berra and Dunn doing the mopping up. And Lee would be the question mark, whether it be Lee, whether it be Bozanic, whether it would be Cochrane. That's a kind of TB, TBD, but I'm going with a three-four-one-two for the second half of the season. I've got pace, I've got power um, in attack. I also have, with Uche and Vanacek, um, an aerial threat that could cause nightmares to the opposition if the supply is there. And that's why I've gone for Morrison on one side and Mitchell on the other. And again, depending on the game, they could be interchanged or one could be swapped out for Smith or Garuccio. What do you think of that?
0: It's an interesting one. I think it could it could work. You, you, I know your reasons for having Morrison and Mitchell is to get the supply in. You've got two big, strong strikers, um, both 6'4", I think. So, big strikers. Now, I guess my questions would be first off, Michael Smith, uh, he's actually one of, I think, the most dependable players in that team, but I guess you're Potentially writing him wrecking him out of the side if you want the supply of Morrison, is that is that wise? Or? Well, I've said
1: depending on the fixture, um, Morrison would only be in there if he sh- if he shows a, a, a prolonged period of, of consistency, and it's very hard for a winger to do that. I think if you've got a game against uh you're you're going to need deliveries for Uche and Vanicic. That's that's a guarantee. You're going to need to give them service. And I think the best way of giving them service is from wide areas. And I think Morrison's a better crosser of the ball than Smith. So if it's a game where we're expected to have more of the ball, I'm playing Morrison. And if it's a game where it might be away from home or, or whatever, to be honest, it's probably a team that's better suited to playing away from Tynecastle because you've got more space to get the deliveries in. But Smith or Morrison, Garuccio or Mitchell, My first choice would be Morrison on one side and Mitchell on the other because it it allows Haring to kind of mop up all the way
0: in front of the back three. Okay, a couple of other things. I mean, Bozanich was going to be one of my questions, but I think you said that it wouldn't necessarily be Lee. It could be Cochran, it could be Bozanich.
1: Yeah, whoever's in form, whoever's in form.
0: Where would Arnold June potentially fit into this team or squad then? I guess one player. Yeah, he, would, he, would he be a potential central, just a, a regular central midfield option then if he was to be brought in? Yeah, I mean, my
1: my issue with, with this
0: is if Doom
1: plays and Naismith's a roaming role, do they get in each other's way? Because if you're playing a diamond, we've spoken about the diamond before, Haring sits, Doom's in front, and then you've kind of got two central players. It's difficult to do a diamond with a 3-4-1-2 because... Are they, are they wing backs? Are they wide midfielders? Do they get back and make a five when we're defending the two wide players? So th- th- this is a team, I mean, I'm playing Lee in there for set pieces and whatever. I've got no issue whatsoever if, if June plays in there. But I just, if, if June plays in there, we've got a lot of creativity. But I don't think we've got that many players that we'd get stuck in. Um, and you could argue that that's not Lee's job. It's 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 hard. You put Joom in there, it would it might work, but I just I think would be would be maybe a wee bit soft. I don't see who's breaking up the play if Joom's in there. Joom's a creator, so Joom, it could be Joom or Naisman, um in in that kind of number ten role in behind the the strikers. It's difficult to 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 fit everybody you want in there. That's that that's the best scenario I came up with. And I've got no issue if if Joom's in there as well, as long as it's alongside Haring. But I just feel we'd be a little bit light in there. Have you got a team, or have you got any kind of suggestions as to a formation that that you think might
0: work in the second half of the season? I I was leaving it with you for now. I thought I'd put this one out to the listeners as well, and we can maybe discuss next week, and I'll give myself a week's thinking time to put something together. I like, in some ways, when you first said Uche and Vanacek, I was like, they're too similar to... Like strong players, uh, but I think the fact you got Naismith behind them means that if they aren't getting on the end of crosses to score, or or you know potentially create a chance that way, that they could be bringing Naismith into play. So if you were going maybe through the middle, they could be holding it up and Naismith playing off the shoulder of them. Um, so I think that might work. I think if it was just Vanacek and Anik Piezu up front with maybe a, a flatter midfield, then it might Leave you a bit one dimensional in terms of you're just relying on balls into the box to win headers. If the other teams stifle that method of attack, then you're not left with much because you've not got much pace to run off the shoulder. But you've got that Naismith, that clever play who could play off them. Uh, my only question would be, Steve McLean. I guess you're looking at as his backup. He's 36. I think that's what he was signed for. Where does it leave Craig White and do? You, uh, and I, I don't expect to write a player off, but do you see him fitting in to the team at all? Yeah, off the
1: bench. Off the bench. I mean, there's, there's a variety of ways this can go. If it transpires that two big boys up front doesn't work, that's an easy fix. It's one of them plus Jim uh, and Naismith playing off them and still keeping your Morrison, your Harring, your Cochrane or Lee or Bosanic and, and your Mitchell. Whiten is someone you've got to play the hot hand. It's, it's like anything. You've got someone who hits a, a, a streak of form. You're not getting rid of them. And it's, it's a huge incentive to someone like Whiten or to McLean. Let's see what you've got. You're going to get your opportunity off the bench. You've got to take it. And if you don't, then you're going to continue being on the bench. You come in and take it, and you do it for two or three games, we're not going to drop you. We'll make it work, but you're not going to drop someone that's scored in three consecutive games. And if Whiten does, does that, then, then great, because you'll have seen when he comes on the formation that you've ended up with, that might work. Th- th- this, is, th- this is a simple 11 guys down on a bit of paper. There's so much more to it than that. Uh, best 11, probably June might be in there. If, it, if it's best 11, then June's in there ahead of Lee. So you've got Zlamal, Bera, Dunn, and Suter, Morrison, Haring, Joom, Mitchell, Naismith, Uche, and and, and Vanacek, or Smith instead of Morrison. But if you're then saying, OK, they've got to fit them in into the the formation that works best, it's all totally subjective. Whiten would have a part to play. You're not not going into a a second half of the season with 13 or 14 players. You have to have a squad of 18, 19, and they all have to play a part. But they have to be incentivised in that you want to do well when you come on, then you've still got a chance of getting a starting spot going forward and we'll tweak it ne- as necessary.
0: Okay, so so give us your thoughts on that. So we've already asked for your best cup final team of the last three winning uh, cup finals but let's also get your, your team for the second half of the season. So from after the winter break onwards who's going to be your starting 11 for Hearts formation and personnel wise again, tweet us at Around the Funnel or email podcast at scarvesaroundthefunnel.co.uk and um, that just sort of brings us to the end of the show, Mark. So thanks for this. I think it's been good. I think we've kept our cool quite well. We've talked about referees. There was no no F bombs dropped. Um the the good news is that Willie Collins refereeing this weekend. And do you know what, Mark? I'm saying that and I'm not actually being completely facetious.
1: No. And and we've we've not it's been a while since we had something to moan at from a Willie Collin perspective. I, I, <laughs> we're tempting fate. fate, aren't we? Of course. I think, I think he's sensible enough to referee safely this weekend and try and stay away from any controversy. I just want to end with, a, with an analogy, and it's a follow-up to a, a response that I put um, to a Paul Mitchell tweet, Paul Mitchell, the BBC commentator, when we were talking about referees earlier. And in a way, it's in defence of Andrew Dallas, and that might horrify a few people saying, he doesn't deserve to be defended. Just hold me out here. Just, just what, g- give, me, give me 10, 15 seconds here. The tweet was along the lines of, if, when I was younger, if my father had taken over as the hearts manager and decided to say, well, screw you to everybody else, I'm going to play my son, whether it's nepotism or, or whatever. I'm hopeless. I was hopeless. I've never been a footballer. But I'm not going to turn it down. I'm not going to turn down that opportunity. It's like if someone comes to me and says, we want you to commentate on baseball. You're going to go out to 10 million people and it's an opportunity you'll never get again. My issue here is the person that's thinking that I'm the right choice for this. Whether it's my father saying, I want you to play for hearts, even if you're not good enough. That's on him. That's not on me. I'm not going to turn it down because it's my lifelong dream to play from a football club. I'm not going to turn down the chance to commentate on baseball to 10 million people. I should never be offered that in the first instance. It's on the person that offers it to me. And that's what I was getting at earlier in the show. There are people over here, and it's not, it's not just in Scotland, and the refereeing fraternity, thinking that someone can do a job when he's clearly not capable. There are people over here who employ not fakes, but people who are clearly nowhere near good enough or talented enough for the role for which they have been asked to do. It's not Andrew Dallas's fault. He is where he is. It's the fault of others through cronyism, through nepotism, through whatever it is, that he is in a position right now, which in a way, I actually feel sorry for him because he wants to be the best that he can be. But as someone once said, and excuse the vulgarity of this. You can only piss with the cock you've got.
0: That was an interesting 10 to 15 seconds. But we'll end and not blaming Andrew Dallas for having a lifelong ambition to piss off Heart fans. On that note, we'll speak next time.